Today on the Ward Preacher Podcast, The Curse, A Quiet Victory, and an Elusive Return. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. All right, our Come Follow Me curriculum brings us to Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20 and 21. Um, So for the coming week, uh, we will be focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into that, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about this idea in a larger context a much larger context. I'd like to talk about it in the context of Adam and Eve, an ancient curse that was placed upon all of mankind. Um, The circumstances were these. God placed in the Garden of Eden a tree of knowledge of good and evil and commanded Adam and Eve not to partake, warning them that in the day they ate of it, they would surely die. The serpent in the garden persuaded Eve to partake of the fruit, and using a blend of truth and lies, convinced her that it was the right decision. Eve then persuaded Adam to partake of the fruit so that they could stay together. Eventually, uh, they realized they weren't wearing any clothes, they covered themselves up and hid, And God asked them to account for their actions, asking if they had partaken of the fruit. Adam gave his explanation. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So there's no real need for him to explain that the woman was supposed to be with him, unless he was expounding a little bit on his reasoning behind partaking, which was to be with her, to stay with her. Eve gave an accounting for her actions. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So there wasn't like some grand understanding she had. She said, I got tricked. That's what she told the Lord. The result of this accounting um, was God pronouncing curses upon the serpent and upon humanity. The serpent was cursed to crawl on its belly, eat dust, and enmity was placed between it and humanity. There would be a constant uh, dislike. The serpent would have power to bruise his heel. He would have power to bruise its head. Um, The woman will, through a painful process, bring forth children. This was uh, what was pronounced by God upon the woman. The man will only eat in the sweat of his face. In other words, he will have to work for his food. Forces of nature will work against him. 
thorns and briars and weeds and uh, other assorted natural disasters will make life difficult. Um, he will have to work in the sweat of his face for bread until he dies. And of course, that brings us to the original warning about partaking of the fruit, the effect of death. God explains to uh, Adam, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. This is the curse of death. Um, moving from an innocent and immortal state in the garden, now to a world in which they could have children and uh, eat food and teach them, but it would take a lot of work, and they would suffer, and ultimately they would die. Now, of course, almost everyone who has been born since this time has died. There are a couple of notable exceptions. Enoch, Moses, Elijah, they were changed so that they could not cross the barrier of death, cross the veil of death. Once you've gone there, there was no way back. And particularly for some of them, they had work that they needed to do um, before the resurrection, Moses and Elijah, uh, we've already discussed a little bit, needing to appear on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, and it would have been a little more difficult if they were dead. Uh, there was no coming back from that. So they were not dead. They were changed. Additionally, almost everyone who has died has stayed dead. When we look, especially before Christ, um, there are a couple of exceptions. Things like Elijah, the prophet, raising the son of the widow of Zarephath. Um, he raised him from the dead. Or, or even Jesus raising Lazarus, or the daughter of Jairus, from the dead. The thing about those raisings from the dead is they were pulled back into a state of mortality. This was not a permanent escape of death. This was um, a temporary reprieve that would ultimately once again lead to death for each of these individuals. You can't come back from that. The curse of death claims all of the children of Adam and Eve for thousands of years, and ultimately no one could break this curse. We just assumed that was the course of things. Death was the way it was. So in, um, in the days of Jesus, uh, who was relatively an unknown figure, the Roman Empire, that was the historically significant uh, political power. They were the undisputed masters of the Mediterranean. Uh, they controlled the Great Sea. Uh, great men uh, accomplished impressive feats militarily, developing technology, engineering structures, roads, aqueducts, uh, incredible feats that humanity accomplished during these times. Almost no one cared about a backwater district in the Levant in which local religious man with a small following was betrayed to local leaders and then killed. It seems historically 
insignificant. I can only imagine that feeling of insignificance must have been very real for the apostles of Jesus, who truly had believed that this was the king of Israel, that he was going to be the one to uh, to not only deliver his people, but bring the kingdom of God to the earth. He would rule and reign and bring true peace that had not been known since the days of Eden. And in spite of all the miracles that he had performed, in spite of seeing blind men see, deaf men hear, lame men walk, well, he had been brutally executed by worldly men with worldly power. Of course, Joseph of Arimathea um, takes his body uh, from Pilate and puts it in a tomb. The Jews, hoping to put an end to the devotions of Christ's followers, set a watch by the tomb to ensure the body of Jesus could not be stolen. In the end, they then proceeded to claim it had been stolen. Um, of course, even the disciples of Jesus initially thought that. Uh, they were confused at this new quiet victory that occurred. This is what it says in Luke. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre, and they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Of course, Mary Magdalene, um, if we look in the Gospel of John, she thought that the body of Jesus had been stolen, just sort of like the Jews feared was going to happen by the disciples. Um, she ran and told Peter and John. And uh, this is the account at the beginning of John 20. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter and John ran to the tomb, and they discovered that the body was, in fact, missing, but the burial wrappings were still there. Curious for someone stealing a body, um, in spite of the confusion, Jesus had broken that ancient curse that had persisted since the days of Eden. Jesus had beaten death. That evening, Jesus appeared to ten of the disciples. Thomas was not there. And uh, when he was told about the events, he could not believe that someone would come back from the dead. That was unheard of. People don't raise themselves from the dead. They can't do anything when they're dead. But eight days later, 
Jesus came to his apostles and specifically spoke to Thomas, saying, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Additionally, two disciples on the road to Emmaus speak with Jesus without recognizing him. Uh, he asked why they were upset, why they were sad, and they explained that it was because of the death of Jesus and added that someone had stolen his body. It had been taken. Jesus responded to them, saying, O oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Eventually, it grows late, and the disciples constrain him to stay with him, with them, um, as they prepare to eat. He breaks bread and blesses it and gives it to them. And immediately they realize who it is that they have been speaking with. And as soon as they recognize him, he disappears from their sight. There were also other signs given at different times. His disciples ultimately realized that he had returned to life. However, he did not stay with them and lead them as he once had during his mortal ministry. He kind of left them on their own. Which brings us to this question, why is it that Christ's return, the most historically significant event in history, the event that affects more people than anything else, the, the victory of Jesus Christ, over death, why was it so hushed? If he had broken the most ancient curse, why not come triumphantly in the clouds and establish his kingdom? Why was it such an elusive return? I think that part of it is understanding the purpose of the mortal experience. There was a reason that God had in the beginning for placing the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. There was a reason that he allowed Satan to be there and tempt Adam and Eve. There was a reason that everything was in its place. It's because he knew exactly what would happen. He was not surprised by any of it. He arranged the circumstances that would lead people to have to live in a world where they could not see God. 
And that makes a huge difference because a choice to follow Christ and his prophets when we can't see all of the evidence in an overwhelming and convincing fashion, well, that choice is so much more meaningful than if he is the king of kings sitting on the throne and we acknowledge his reality and that we probably ought to listen to what he has to say. If today, in a day when you do not see him, you decide to listen to his prophets and keep his commandments, well, that means more than doing so when he is appearing in the clouds in all of his glory. A person who believes the prophets repents and follows Jesus without seeing him does so because they choose to. As Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. May we choose to believe and to follow him. Next week, we will look at Acts chapters 1 through 5, the beginning of the ministry of the apostles. Of course, continue to study on your own, apply these teachings, and as always, fight on.